Good morning. Good morning, everyone. Thank you to those of you, again, who are joining us here in the sanctuary, as well as those who are with us online. You might not remember this, but we started this sermon series way back in January. Um, I thought it would be a wonderful way to get to the first couple months of the year, really focusing on Jesus's words. And that's, of course, not what happened. And so we had to kind of change things up a little bit. But when I started that, that series, there were a couple passages in the Sermon on the Mount that I was thinking, wow, these are really practical, really relevant. I'm really excited to talk about this, and I was really focused on them. I didn't give a lot of thought to the passage we're looking at today back in January. Uh, I obviously knew it was there. I knew there was a section that talked about anxiety, but I had not really experienced how terrible anxiety can be. And uh, then 2020 happened, and I discovered things that anxiety can do to you, like restless nights or even physical pain that I didn't know where it came from and had never experienced before. And that led me to do a little research. I learned from the Anxiety and Depression Association of America that it's approximately 18% of the adult population in the U.S. That's almost one in five people in adults in the United States, experiences anxiety to a paralyzing degree. And that means they experience anxiety in such a way that they have moments where they're really unable to do anything else. And while I won't necessarily claim that I was there, I I may have been close to there. And so if that's you, which statistics tell us that's one in five people, then I'm very sympathetic. And I'm sorry if that's your experience, and you experience times when you feel unable to do something because of that anxiety, that worry that's in your mind. Now, maybe it's not you, and just understand some struggle with this more than others. Some maybe just a little, and some it might be a bit more. There's some people who might find medical intervention helpful with this, but for others, they're able to learn how to cope. What do we mean when we're talking about anxiety? What we're talking about is an overt or an extreme emotional reaction to an uncertain situation. So we're having an extreme reaction to something that's uncertain. And this can manifest itself in not just in our mind, but it can have some physical symptoms as well. It can cause ulcers, uh, maybe even wrinkles, uh, lack of sleep. It can cause headaches. The skin can break out. It can be weakness or sluggishness. You don't feel like doing anything. And of course, this year, 2020, has not helped with that. Things are very uncertain and changing all the time. And if anxiety is an extreme emotional reaction to something uncertain, well, that's definitely this year. But the good news in all of that is there is hope for our anxieties and our worries. Jesus tells us that we should move our worrying to seeking after his kingdom, and he tells us how we do that. So I'm going to read our passage. If you're not there, please turn your Bible to Matthew 6, we're going to be verses 25 through 34, or you can look on the screen behind me or on uh, your computer screen. And once you're there, I'd ask you to please stand to honor the reading of God's word, and then follow along as I read our passage for today. This is Matthew 6, 25 through 34. Jesus, continuing to preach, says this, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? 
Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Verse 31, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Let's pray. Lord, this has been a year full of anxiety, and many of us have struggled with it to a degree that we maybe hadn't before, or if we haven't, perhaps we know someone who has. God, I pray that you would teach us during this time through your word, teach us how to not be anxious, but to trust in you, teach us how we can learn from nature Build in us a desire to seek your kingdom first and your righteousness so that we do not have to worry about tomorrow. Build in us great trust in you, a reliance upon you. May we have that not because of anything in us, but because of you and because of the work of your son. It's in his name that I pray. Amen. You may be seated. So again, we're in the Sermon on the Mount. We're talking about... Jesus' call for us to have lives of exceeding righteousness, which is a word we'll talk about a bit this week, exceeding goodness. Our lives should look different than those around us if we know God, if we have a relationship with him. Last week, we talked about a difference that should happen is that we put our treasure, our value somewhere else. Jesus encouraged us to lay up our treasures in heaven. And things like money or possessions, things of this earth should not be our priority. In this part, he's kind of continuing that theme. He just talked about what we treasure and value, and then he moves into our mind and what we think about during the day. And in a passage that we also see something similar to this in Luke 12, he talks about how we deal with anxiety. I'm going to do it a little differently than how uh, we normally go about it. Normally, I just talk about the parts that are being said here, but Jesus is kind of within his larger sermon. He's, he's modeling a nice sermon section right here. He, he presents a teaching, he illustrates it, and then he's going to solve his problem and give us an application to his message. So we're going to break down what Jesus is doing in his own little sermon. And the first thing he does is he gives us a teaching, and the teaching he gives us is do not be anxious. Do not be anxious. We already read verse 25, but it says, Do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. 
Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? We're not to worry about food, drink, what we put on or wear. This is something we need to do constantly, continuously. This word he's talking about not worrying and uh, not being anxious, it's similar to phrases elsewhere in the Bible where it talks about being double-minded, thinking about two things, trying to have two priorities, being divided in our mind. Because the answer to Jesus' question is, yes, life is more than food and clothing. Life is a gift of God. Everything always belonged to him, but it comes from him, so we do not have to be anxious. And this teaching is going to be repeated throughout here, so we'll talk about it a bit more. Jesus' point is that our pressing needs, pressing physical needs we have, do not need to control our minds. Now, when he says, don't be anxious, don't worry, he's not saying we shouldn't plan for the future or think ahead. I like how the English pastor J.C. Ryle put it. He said, prudent provision for the future is right. Thinking ahead about what we need in the future is right. But wearing, corroding, self-tormenting anxiety is wrong. And I hope we can understand there's a difference between those two. It's one thing to think, what do I need tomorrow when I go to the store versus staying up all night wondering if I'm going to get in a car accident on the way to the store. There's, there, there's a difference between planning ahead and having an anxiety that corrodes and that tortures or torments ourselves. Jesus is saying that that worry is a symptom of unbelief or a lack of trust in God. In the Old Testament, we don't find that word anxiety very often, but it has a lot to say about fear, about fear. Look, for example, at Joshua 1.9, God speaks to Joshua before he's going in to take a promised land, a new land for God's people, and God tells him, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Or consider what God says to the prophet Isaiah. God says, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Notice that both of those passages have that word dismayed. That's that kind of anxiety, that fear that we're talking about. The question, though, is how do we do this? How are we, can we live this way? Because what Jesus is saying when he says, do not be anxious, he's telling us to stop something that's already happening. We're being anxious, worries, things will pop in our head. It will happen on its own. So he's saying to stop perpetually worrying. He's challenging us that we can't choose our anxieties. We can't choose what we worry about. But we can choose how we respond to that worry when it comes in our head. And here he's going to tell us how, by giving us an illustration. He tells us to consider nature, consider nature, what we see around us. Look at verses 26 and 27. It says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? He challenges us to look outside, look around, and look at the birds, or some translations may say the ravens, but it's the birds that are flying around. 
I know recently I've noticed there's been a lot of birds hanging out here at the church property, little ones. They fly back and forth, it seems, all day. And in this time that they've done that, sometimes look out the window at them. I haven't seen them planting anything in the fields around here, and, and they aren't gathering any crops there. They don't take it to a barn, but they still eat, and they still survive, and there's still a lot of them out there. This is an example that they noticed even in the Old Testament, they say it. In Psalm 147, they praise God, sing to the Lord with thanksgiving, make melody to our God on the lyre. He covers the heavens with clouds. He prepares rain for the earth. He makes grass grow on the hills. He gives to the beasts their food and to the young ravens, the young birds that cry. What Jesus is saying is if that's true, if God provides a way for the birds to eat, then he'll provide food for his people too. Because are you not of more value than they? Yes, we are much more valuable to God and more important. Jesus is giving us a general principle that God gives most people the means to eat and have the blessing of food, particularly to his people who know him. God is our heavenly father. And as a father, he's responsible to take care of us. And so he does. Jesus will latch onto this image in just a couple chapters after this in Matthew 10. He'll say, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. Even the hairs of your head are all numbered. So fear not, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. God gives us value and worth. And as he takes care of the birds, he takes care of us. When we have needs like hunger, it's reminding us that we need to depend on him. Just two weeks ago, Elder Dan Long, he preached about the passage just before this on the Lord's Prayer, which has this as part of it. Give us this day our daily bread, calling out to God to provide for us. As Jesus says, we are of more value than these birds. And this is a teaching in Scripture that we as human beings are of more value than animals. Now that that doesn't mean we don't take care of animals. That doesn't mean we mistreat animals. We have a stewardship, a responsibility over creation. But it does mean that there is some intrinsic worth and value that comes from being a human being. Something makes us different, and it's our ability to relate to God. All human life has distinct value. And that value we have is why God sent his son, Jesus Christ. Because we can't have a relationship with him, but we broke that relationship with sin. That's why God sent Jesus, to live a life that we couldn't live, to pay for our sin, provide us a way to know God. And so we cannot hope to truly overcome anxiety or anything else without knowing him. That's why God's promises here when he talks about trusting God, not being anxious for things like food, it's for God's people, those who know Jesus Christ. They should live differently because they should know, as verse 27 says, that they can't add an hour to their lifespan. They can't add a, a cubit to their height. A cubit is like 18 inches. You can't add an hour to your life. You can't add to your height of your own free will. One scholar, Denny Aiken, said, worry may affect the quality of your life, but it will not add to the length of your life. Worry can control your mind and dominate your thoughts, but it will not make your life any longer. 
There is nothing at the end of the day in God's sight that we can do to add time to our life or, or take away. Now, that doesn't mean we should go out and be reckless and do whatever we want, but it's acknowledging that God is in control. He determines when our life begins and ends. And when in God's eyes our work is finished, if we know him when it's our time to return to our heavenly home, that's when our life will end. I really like how the one psalmist puts it. He says, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. God knows how our life will turn out. And maybe from our perspective, it looks like we can change something, but from God's perspective, what he knows, nothing we do can change that. And knowing that God knows where we're going and knows our future, that that maybe can lead you to despair. Like, well, then what's the point? But where it should lead us to is comfort because God knows when things are going to end. And so he can provide for me when I have needs now. This isn't a fatalism. This isn't everything's predetermined, so it doesn't matter what I do. No, this is a certainty, a a knowledge, a, a trust that God is in control, that he knows what he is doing with my life. It's a call for us to abandon our own plans, our own thoughts about what makes us comfortable and trust in God's control. Again, look at the birds. They don't make plans for their future. They live and they trust. Let's look at verses 28 through 30 as he continues to another illustration. He says, why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies, the flowers of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive, tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? What was true for birds? is true for flowers as well. Flowers don't labor. They don't, they don't work to make themselves look beautiful. They just are. And if we really take the time to look at how uniquely beautiful a flower is, the way the colors come together, it's prettier than anything that we can design or produce on our own. The example Jesus gives is King Solomon. Solomon was the richest, the wealthiest king in Israel's history. Israel never reached a place of prosperity like they had when Solomon was in control. The story that really illustrates this is a queen from another country named Sheba, a wealthy country, comes. And we're told that when she had seen all the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, the food of his table, the seating of his officials, the attendance of his servants, their clothing, his cupbearers, his burnt offerings that he offered at the house of the Lord, There was no more breath in her. She was breathless. It took her breath away to see all that Solomon had. But Jesus says, if you have the eyes to see it and look at what we might call an ordinary everyday flower, that is more beautiful than even that because that's God's handiwork. It's even more breathtaking. And the point is, if that God brings that beauty to a flower, then he will provide clothing for us. He will take care of us. And believing this, trusting in this, is key to living well. It's believing that God actually cares for us. One of his disciples who heard Jesus say this was Peter. 
And Peter got the message because he said to people he was writing to, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting, putting all of your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Now, I don't want to go too far into thinking about what's in Peter's head, but maybe he's thinking about the birds, about the flowers, and thinking Jesus said that God provides for them. He provides for us too. He cares for us. God cares for us in a way that is far beyond our understanding and our imagination. Even when life is hard, God cares for us because he cares what happens to us not only today, but the next day and throughout all eternity. But this isn't often easy for us to grasp or understand. And if we're going to understand what Jesus is saying here, something's going to have to change inside us. If we're anxious, if we're worrying about what's happening, that exposes a problem in our thinking and in our character. As Jesus says at the very end of verse 30, he says, Will he, will God not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? This term, little faith, Jesus is speaking to people, he's talking to people in his kingdom, people who know him. He says that they have a weak or a deficient faith. I'm not going to go through every place of this, but in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus uses this phrase a lot, and it's every time other than this in reference to his disciples. Jesus has done something, and they don't quite get it. Jesus says, oh, you of little faith. I think it's three or four more times beyond this passage. It's a failure for us to understand who God is, a failure for us to understand our value to God. If we don't trust God to provide for us, we're we're not understanding what God does for our protection every day. It means we're failing to have a biblical view of life. We think life's what we need to do, that life is not based on what God does and his control. What Jesus is saying is that to be anxious reveals that we're not trusting God. Another follower of Christ, the Apostle Paul, who didn't meet him in person but knew him later, he writes this in Romans. He says, God, that's me, he who did not spare his own son, but God who gave Jesus up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? That wording gets maybe a little twisted in our, our minds, but what, what he's trying to say is that God gave Jesus. He provided Jesus as a sacrifice for us so we could be restored to God. And if God does that, if he sends his own son to earth to care for us, then we shouldn't doubt that he'll provide things for us like food, drink, and clothing. Yes, we may be tempted to doubt those things, but if we remember what God did through Jesus, then we can know that he will take care of us. So the solution to anxiety is that we need a bigger faith, a greater faith to overcome that anxiety. We need a true faith that trusts God in every area of life, that looks for his work in every part of life that we encounter. I read an article from a professor at a Christian school. His name is B.G. White, and this is what he wrote about anxiety. He said, our vocation, our job, what we should do as anxious believers is we should see and appreciate the contradiction between our anxiety and the God who loves us. And so what he's saying is if we're struggling with anxiety, then we need to step back a moment and say, okay, I believe in God and I trust him, 
but I'm also struggling with anxiety. And those two things don't make sense. That's very hard in the moment to think about that, but that's a powerful truth if we grasp it. It's seen and recognizing my worry doesn't make sense with my belief in God. And if we put those two together, it can help us work through those anxieties. If we think about who God is, we think about what he has done for us. If we think about how he loves us, worry goes to the side. This is why, though, it's so important that if you do not know God, if you do not have a relationship with Jesus, that that you do, that you come to know him. Because otherwise, there's no way to truly overcome this kind of anxiety. There's plenty of solutions that you'll find elsewhere in the world. But to truly overcome anxiety depends on a relationship with Jesus Christ. And if we do know him, well, it's a call for us to know him better. It means we need to read scripture or listen to God's word. Maybe praise him through song. Dwell on what God's word has told us God is like. Friends, brothers and sisters, don't settle for little faith in God. Know him better. And in his sermon, Jesus gets to how we do this. He gets to the solution to our problem of anxiety. His solution is for us to seek first the kingdom. Seek first the kingdom of God. Verses 31 through 33 tell us, therefore do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles, unbelievers seek after those things and your heavenly father knows that you need them all. Verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness And all these things will be added to you. He summarizes what he was saying. He says, do not be anxious. Do not worry about eating, drinking, wearing our food, our water, and what we wear. Uh, This is here. Here it is. This is the Spurgeon quote of the day. I actually didn't put it up, but uh, Spurgeon's sermon on this. He called those things food, drink, clothing, the world's trinity of cares was his description there. So as believers, we want to worship the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The world often worships food, drink, and clothing. He says it's because it's Gentiles, it's pagans, it's unbelievers who worry about those things. Their desires control them. They have to live for those things. They eagerly seek to fulfill their wants. Jesus is saying you shouldn't live like somebody who doesn't know God. If you're a kingdom citizen, you should live differently. You should trust that God knows what you need and not live in that anxiety and fear. You should remember that God knows you, that he sees you, and that you can trust him. Just earlier in this very chapter, he told us to ask for help in this if we need it. Back in verses 7 and 8, Jesus said, When you pray, do not heap up empty words like those Gentiles or non-believers do. They think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. God knows what we need. One scholar named Scott McKnight, I thought he put it well, prayer does not inform God about needs. It expresses trust in His provision. When we pray and we say, God, I, I maybe I'm struggling to need... I have some ends meet. I, I need some money to help 
this week, God doesn't go, wow, I didn't know about that. Thank you so much for telling me. Now I will work to help you solve this problem. No, no, God knew in advance. When we pray, we're saying, God, I'm relying on you to provide this. Now, if we want to phrase it, God, please help me get this, we can certainly tell God anything we're thinking about. But he knows already. Prayer is not levers we pull with God to get what we want. It's how we express trust in him. We're looking to the future, seeing what he will do for us. That's not often how people who don't know God live. Many non-Christians are often unable to see beyond their current problem. They get stuck in their current situation. What do I need now? But the same thing can happen to us. We get stuck on, this is what I need now. This is what I want to happen. And so we need to figure out why we feel that way. And our passage we looked at last week could give us some clues. We're not going to go back to it, but it talked about our treasures, what's in our heart. And so if we can't get beyond, I need this, I need this, and struggling to trust God, maybe we need to go back to that and think about what is it that I treasure? What is it that I value in my heart? Maybe some work needs to change there. I need to realize, okay, I'm valuing this thing, and instead I need to value God. I can ask myself, what am I worried about? What treasure am I afraid to lose? What do I really want. If we have a focus on the right treasure, if we have our focus on the Lord, it will aid our fight against anxiety because God is in that work. That uh, article I shared earlier, that quote from that guy B.G. White, he was, wrote an article just, that I just happened to read this week about anxiety, came across. The Gospel Coalition uh, had an article as well from a pastor named Josh Weedman. He said this, God is not the author of anxiety, but he is sovereign over it. God's not the one who creates anxiety in our mind, but he is in control of it. He uses it for his purposes. These anxieties and worries we have, if they're working correctly, they should push us toward a greater trust in Christ. We should realize, I'm worried about this. I'm thinking about this. This is God telling me to trust more in him in this area. Scripture puts it best. Paul puts it this way, 2 Corinthians 4. He says this light, momentary affliction, what we're going through right now, is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to things that are seen, but to things that are unseen. The things that are seen are transient, they're temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. If we're anxious, if we're worried about something, it's okay to ask God why. God, why am I worried about this? Why is this bothering me? Why are you doing this? We can ask God whatever we're thinking and feeling, and we should. But after we ask why, we should also ask God what. God, what are you doing in me right now? What are you developing in my character through this thought, through this worry that I'm having? What are you preparing me for? through this thought, through this struggle. What, God, is your eternal purpose in this situation? What are you doing in my life with this worrying? Maybe we won't always come to an answer there, but if we ask the question, we can seek what God is wanting to do in our lives. Jesus now gets really practical. He says, so what should we do instead of worry? He tells us we should seek First, constantly seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. We should live 
righteously because then all things will be that we need will be added given provided for us they might not come to us according to our standards the way we would want when we would want how we would want but they will come true believers know that god is on the throne he is in control and he will provide and so he calls us to acknowledge that god is on his throne he has a kingdom that is partially here on earth as we are his representatives of it. Someday he will come to directly reign and rule, but we are representatives of his kingdom right now. And by sharing the gospel, making disciples, his kingdom is growing, it's expanding, it's being revealed more to a lost world. And if that is our primary passion, if that's our priority, reflecting God's kingdom in our life and in our words, then we're concentrating on God his purposes, then our thoughts can move away from our anxieties to trust in him. This is what God calls us to pray for. Again, back in the Lord's Prayer, the very first words are our Father in heaven, hallowed praise be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus has already given us this prayer. Now he's saying, this is what it looks like in your life. You can pray that, but the way you believe that is you seek first God's kingdom. We're to actively promote the reign of Christ. Live as citizens of his kingdom. Live holy, distinct lives. A life that looks different from those around us. Because this, while we do live in this place, this really isn't our home. It's not our final destination. America, yes, is a democracy. We have elections. But friends, we are not going to a democracy. We are going to an absolute monarchy ruled by God above. And that is so much better because he is perfect. This is something we are active in, seeking this in every area. We haven't done this because we've been going slowly. But maybe you want to read through the Sermon on the Mount again and see all the times that Jesus talks about God's kingdom. You might be surprised how much it pops up. The very first words of the Sermon on the Mount were, blessed is the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The main theme of the sermon that we've talked about a lot is in verse 20, I tell you, unless your righteousness, your goodness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. The whole sermon, Jesus' eyes are not I mean, he's caring for the people there, but he's not focused on their situation. He's thinking about God's coming kingdom. Being a part of that kingdom is not something we earn. It's a reality of how God's people will live. And so this life we have, this righteousness, it should be what defines us, what we hunger for. As he also said at the very beginning of the sermon, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. So Jesus has given us a solution to our anxiety. And he's going to wrap up this part of the sermon with some very simple, easy to understand, take-home application. Do not worry about tomorrow. As he says in verse 34, therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Now, some of us might find this a little easier than others. So some people are of a very, I guess I could call it a practical nature. They're very focused on what's in front of them. 
uh, we had a meeting with some of the elders in the church. And so one of them, my, my father example, he's like this. If there's a problem, he comes up with a solution right away to solve it and fix it. And we can move on to the next thing. And that, that's, that's wonderful if that's you. Um, that's not me. Uh, so other people think different ways. I can sometimes do this. Sometimes some people live in the past. I don't do this as much, but sometimes I do that. And so we keep analyzing past decisions that we've made. What should I have done here? What should I have said there? And, and that can be helpful to learn what to do in the future, but there's a problem if that doesn't lead us to change or growth. But some people, and this is probably more so me, we don't think as much about the past or as much about what's happening right now. Sometimes we're thinking about the future, about what comes next. And sometimes we can get lost in the future. We can think, well, what will I do when this happens? What will I do if this thing happens? We can think, what impact will this decision I'm making today have on my future? What impact will this decision have tomorrow? What impact will it have a month from now? What about six months from now? What about a year from now? What about 10 years from now? What will happen because of this decision that I make now? Now, you may hear that and say, that doesn't make any sense to me. But some of you, that makes sense to you. And your brain thinks that way sometimes. Like any way our brains work, there's benefits of that. The benefit is it helps us to plan, see potential problems. It helps us to stay on the right course because we have our mind, this is where I want to end up. We think about how our decisions lead us there. The negative is what Jesus is talking about here. The negative is it can produce great anxiety about things that we can't control. We can live in a swamp of, yeah, I think I should do this, but what about if this thing happens after that? Well, well, okay, but, but what about if this thing happens after we do that? We can get stuck there. Or Jesus says we can accept today's problems and then live and grow. With these words, Jesus is telling us every day will bring its own challenges and its own troubles. And if we spend our time not thinking but worrying about the future, it will cripple and paralyze us in the present. If we're just worrying about what if this happens, what if that happens, then we won't do what God calls us to do today. And God holds that future, not us. Again, Pastor J.C. Ryle said, we may die before tomorrow. We, we don't know what happens on the morrow, but this only we may be assured of, that if tomorrow brings a cross, he who sends it can and will send grace to bear it. If there's going to be a problem, a struggle that we encounter tomorrow, if we know God, God will give us grace for that struggle. So we don't have to worry about it. We don't have to be anxious about it. I think one of the best illustrations of this in the Bible, we're not going to read the passage, but when God's people were, had left slavery in Egypt, God had rescued them, but now they were in the wilderness and they ended up being there for years and years. They were in a place that didn't have a lot of food, a, a lot of water, but what God did every day was he provided a type of bread called manna for them. And what the people had to do was go out every day in the morning and that bread, their food for the day, would be there. But the way God designed this miraculous bread to work was that it was only good for that day. You couldn't keep some for the next day. No, you had to go out the next morning and get the manna, the bread that was there. There was an exception, which was uh, the day before their Sabbath. There was enough bread for two days. But in every other case, they couldn't store extra. They had to depend on what God gave them that day. That's the same kind of trust 
that God calls us to, depending on him today. If you're someone who struggles with anxiety or can get trapped thinking about the future, you need to think about your life as the current 24-hour block of time that you're living in right now. Today, right now, how are you spending the 24 hours you have on Sunday, November 22nd, 2020? We have to move our mind there. Now, when I say that, I'm not trying to intimidate you. I'm not trying to worry you, not, not, not trying to tear you down. I, my purpose is to help us understand what we control. You control what you do today in this block of time. There's not a decision you can make now that then controls what happens tomorrow. Maybe you can prepare for something, but you can't fix what will happen tomorrow. You can only control what you think about and do today. So we need to replace those misleading thoughts that we somehow have control over the future with trust in God. Brothers and sisters, if 2020 has taught us anything, it's that most of what we expect to happen really doesn't. Most of what we anticipate, oh yeah, that that, that for sure is going to happen. It doesn't. The James, the half-brother of Jesus, maybe was thinking about Jesus' words, and he said, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town, spend a year there, trade, make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. How do we live in this time? Yes, we should plan, but we should not live in fear of the future. There's a a word that's come into prevalence in 2020, and you maybe have heard this word. You probably, though, haven't heard it until you realize that it's what you're doing. It's this word called doom scrolling. Has anybody heard of doom scrolling? Doom scrolling is when you're on the internet and you keep reading negative news, and you can't stop yourself from reading one bad news story after another, or perhaps from scrolling on social media, and you just keep going and going and going, even though you know there's nothing good that you're going to read. This is incredibly easy to do in 2020. Something pops up. Oh, a new study about coronavirus levels or something. And I think, I'm just going to read one article. And then 10 articles later, I'm like, yeah, oh, yes, should not have, have done that. Or we just came out of an election time. Like, I'll just read one about what latest poll things are. And then a half hour later, like, oh, I just read five or six things about it. Now, it's important to be informed about things. It helps us make wise decisions. But if we are susceptible to getting stuck in the future, being captivated by anxiety. We need to work against this wasting time of doom scrolling and instead realize that God is with me today and he is ready to help. And if we look, we can see it every day around us, but we can especially see it if we think about what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. Danny Aiken put it this way, the God who took care of our greatest problem at the cross can certainly be trusted to take care of anything else we may face daily in this life. After all, he secured our eternity, so he will see you through today. Sometimes I don't believe that. Sometimes I think, this thing right now is really huge, and in that moment, I'm not thinking about what God did for me at the cross. But if I am, if I'm thinking, God sent Jesus to die for me. He did something so that my eternity would be set, and I don't have to worry for all eternity. And if I remember that, 
that can give me confidence today. But again, if you do not know Jesus, then then you might not have that confidence and that trust. So I, I encourage you to know Jesus who died to restore us to God. If we turn away from our sin, trust in him, we can have a relationship with God. But for believers, the message here is clear. We should not live in anxiety. We should live for God's kingdom. When we were in the midst of coronavirus and we were uh, doing, uh, we were not gathering together, but we were doing a, a video service thing, I talked through the book of Philippians. And there was a, a similar passage that was in that book. Verses 6 and 7 in Philippians chapter 4 tell us, do not be anxious about anything. In everything, by prayer, supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Because if we are not anxious, but we're depending on God, then the peace of God, which surpasses, goes beyond all understanding, will guard our hearts and minds in our Lord and Savior, Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I pray that you may know his peace and that we all may worship him always because he truly alone is worthy of that worship.